Hey guys, welcome back. Another podcast here. This is another one that we teamed up with. Um, really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. We talked a lot about shed hunting. Obviously, it's that time of year, so um, we've been lucky enough to to work with a couple other guys on some of their podcasts. So enjoy this one. It's a great interview. I, I enjoyed it. It was, again, like kind of talking with an old friend. So um, enjoy it. Thank you for your support. Please do me a favor. Share this with someone you like and leave a review if you would be willing. Appreciate it. Appreciate all the support. And we'll keep doing these. One of the first things that I ever did as far as hunting goes is I bought a hunting dog. <laughs> that was kind of what got me into that. And, and interestingly enough, oh, maybe a year ago, my father-in-law sent me an article that that was like the whole topic. How many people have been getting into hunting through their hunting dog? They buy a dog, they do a little research, find out, hey, this thing was bred way back when to do this, you know, sporting field trial or, or hunting application or whatever. And uh, kind of drags them into hunting and i'd of course always wanted to hunt um but uh, didn't have that avenue in growing up you guys know the story uh, but really when i got my Brittany theo who's a uh, uh, uh britney's our you know well-known pointing uh upland bird dog um is like hey i got this dog this is what he's good at his uh the guy who was who was raising the pups he said that, yeah, both uh, the sire and the dam, they both punt or point, and, you know, it'd be worth hunting with him if I if I wanted to take him that route. He should, you know, he should have the genetics to, to be good at it. And so uh, that's what I did. But I also, when I was getting into that, had already been shed hunting. Shed hunting was another thing that kind of got, it was kind of a gateway thing for me to get into hunting. And uh, so getting this, this uh, dog already shed hunting and not being very good at finding sheds, wanting to find more sheds. I was like, man, I need to get in on some of this shed dog training. And so one of the very first things I ever did was start to train my dog, Theo, on how to find sheds. And I used the guy who is on the line with me tonight. I used his program. It was, uh, I'm trying to think, I just saw the DVD the other night because after we've been moving in, we've been uh, kind of sorting through boxes and everything. And, and, uh, I don't remember the name of it. Maybe it was like basics of shed dog training or something like that with, with Jeremy Morris produced by gun dog magazine. But man, did I watch that thing over and over again and start putting a lot of those things into practice. I ordered the, the dog bone, uh, uh, I guess you'd say mock antler and the, the training scent and everything. And Theo and I, we had just, just tons and tons of training sessions in the backyard. You know, I did a lot inside the house too. I started incorporating some of the sheds that I had found into, into his training a little bit. I even started to incorporate some of his training in the house with some of the sheds that I'd already found before. And then Jeremy, you probably hear this all the time. I fell off the wagon. Sure. I was, I was, I was taking him out and I was, I was, you know, letting him run with me while I was 
you know, looking for sheds. He was good at listening to my, my signals and everything and, and, uh, you know, good recall and everything, pretty obedient dog. Uh, but just, he would never find any sheds and, you know, he'd always come back loaded up with beggars lice and cockleburrs of all kinds and green briar, you know, all raked into his armpits and his coat and covered in dirt and everything. It's like, man, is it really worth it giving him a bath after sure. every empty shed hunting venture with him? So I kind of fell off the wagon. All that to say, this is kind of a self-serving episode. I want to pick Jeremy's brain on how I can, <laughs> how I can, if there's any chance I can breathe life back into good old Theo's shed hunting career here. Now that he's oh, about six and a half years old and, uh, far removed from those early days of, of regular training that we were doing and uh, see, see what can be done. But first of all, I just need to say thanks, Jeremy, for being willing to come on the show. Hey, thank you for having me, Kent. I appreciate it. Uh, it's, you're, you might not just get me here. I got, uh, I've got my little one, Lillian. She's three years old. And can you say hi to Kent there? Uh, I thought I had it all covered, man. I had her in bed. I had a TV, I had a video going. Mom's at volleyball and mom's at soccer practice with our other daughter. So I thought I had us covered here, but uh, looks like we're gonna have a, maybe a little input from Lillian. So I appreciate you having yeah, no. me. I appreciate you having me on. Oh yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I was stoked that you're willing to come on, and no, no worries about uh, the child interruptions. Sure, My sure. guess on occasion get to hear the voices of my kids coming in and tell me good night or yeah or uh <laughs> yeah and you, you know something at me. you'll end up what's interesting is is you'll 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 understand quickly and, and you probably do already but you just i heard a little squeaking behind me here that i've got an english setter puppy that's 12 weeks old and lillian came down and sat on my lap and the pup was sleeping nicely and now the pup's gonna whine a little bit and it'll get fussy so um i think it's perfect because the reality is, you know, the, when we're training our dogs, they're, they're, they become part of the family. Um, mm-hmm. Whether they're my dogs or clients' dogs, doesn't matter. They become part of our family. And I think it's um, overlooked oftentimes, and people don't recognize or realize the, that training, like dog training doesn't just happen during sessions. And, and so mm-hmm. I'm a professional trainer, I suppose you could say that. Um, Technically, if you get paid, I guess you're a professional. So I, I, I am, I am, I guess, by that standard. But I don't train. I mean, I train dogs, but I don't spend all day training dogs, and sure. most of us don't. So the this, you know, the information that that we talk about today, the stuff that I write about for you mentioned Gun Dog before. We do, I do some writing for him. We've done some video stuff for him. The the folks that I think get the benefit from that probably aren't the people that are training 30, 40 dogs in a kennel. Uh, spending 10, 12, 14 hours a day training. I, I, not to say that you couldn't get value out of it, but that's not what I do. And so that's not what I'm able to share the ways to do it. And um, there's lots of ways to train dogs. And so one of the things that I think I connect well with a lot of folks on is the fact that I've got this little girl who comes down and decides to be a part of the podcast. I've got family running here, there, and everywhere. I've got dogs that are, you know, I, I look at training as, I look at dogs as they're always in training. So I've got a 12-week-old puppy sleeping here next to me. Now she's settled back down, so that's real good. Um, this is training for her. She's on place. And so she's she's really getting really good at place. I've got 
another dog laying over here on a bed. I've got a dog laying over here on a bed, and I've got a pup. I've got a dog in the laundry room behind me with two puppies that are five days old. So you know, we awesome. we look at it and we go, yeah, we we do dogs, but we do life, and I don't separate the two. Instead, I look at it and I go, the dogs are part of the life. The life is part of the dogs, and it's easier for me from a training perspective to look at it that way. Like I, I don't separate time necessarily. I do put, I do set aside time and I do go work on specific things at certain times, but that's not always. And what I, what I think we become real efficient at is building training into everyday life stuff. So as I record a podcast with you tonight, my dog's getting place training. If I wasn't talking with you, I, I don't know what I'd be doing. I'd be maybe up in the bed with her watching the movie, or I'd be sending emails, or I'd be, you know, who knows what I'm doing at, you know, 7.30 at night, but the dogs are always learning, so we're always training. And I think once we adapt that mindset, it becomes real easy to train a dog. And, and it becomes a lot less intimidating because the biggest one of the biggest things I hear from people is I don't have time to do it. I don't have yeah. time for it. Now, do they take time? Yeah. Do kids take time? Yeah, they do. But it becomes part of your routine. It becomes part of your life. And then when that happens, I look at it like it doesn't take any more time. We build it in. Yeah, I think you make a really good point there. And, you know, when you really start looking at how we spend our time each day and, you know, maybe it's uh, we get little reminders of that, right? You, you get your kid tugging on your arm while you're cruising on on Instagram or something like that. You're like, shoot, I need to be, sure. I need to be spending this time better. Totally. Or you uh, get your screen time report at the end of the week or you um, look at uh, – you know how much time you were you were spending uh, doing extra stuff for work and not just uh, spending time with the family or whatever, and and uh, you can see how that that time adds up, but also where you got maybe some dead time in there where, yeah, every night you could do a little you know twenty minute session or something with with uh, your dogs or or whatever, and and try and build in that consistency. And I definitely wanna I definitely wanna talk about what that is defined as to you that that word consistency yeah. as far as dog training goes um eventually in this but but before we go there you know i thought it'd be good just for the audience to kind of get to know you a little bit and and these are definitely some questions i've had before for after watching your content for quite some time now but um gotta imagine that uh you have a pretty deep outdoor background is is has the outdoors always been a part of your life i mean ever, ever since you were a kid totally or is that something you kind of came into as an adult no totally i i was um i was raised in northern wisconsin actually so i live now kind of in northeast wisconsin i guess east central wisconsin i'm near green bay and but i was born in in northern wisconsin a little town called rhinelander um lived mm. there lived there my my grandparents lived there obviously my mom and dad were there my dad was born there i mean it, it was where my grandpa lived so we we have roots in the northwoods and you can't help but be outside up there because it's yeah uh, and and we're talking like we're talking a few years ago so it wasn't like the video game thing was even a thing at, at that time i don't want to age i don't want to date myself here but i'm not young <laughs> i mean uh i'm four i'll be 42 this this month so i mean i i'm finally to that point where i I recognize like age does creep up on a guy and, and things change. And, but I, I look back on my, when I was growing up and that's all I did was 
was be outside. And my dad was a hunter. Um, you know, my, my dad worked really hard. My grandpa worked really hard. They were you know, construction guys their whole lives. And, um, sure. I was a construction guy. It was like, you just, that's what we did in our family. But we, mm-hmm. we like many, um, construction or not, we were like, we were, we were big outdoors people. So hunting more than anything, you know, my, my family wasn't big sure. fishing. I'm probably bigger fishermen than they, they were, but, um, yeah, I just, I loved everything outside. I wasn't always a dog guy. Like when I grew up, we didn't have dogs when I was really young. I shouldn't say that. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't say that. We did. I was in fourth grade. We got our first dog and as a family. And it was right when 101 Dalmatians came out. So uh, of course, oh, okay. of course, what did we get? We had to get a Dalmatian. So we did. My mom and dad got it for me and my sisters. Um, Domino, we named it. I mean, it was a be- really beautiful little dog that's cool um and and it turned into the devil like we didn't train it we didn't do anything with it we didn't know what to do with it we just thought it was like a movie you know you get these cute little puppies and they become cute little dogs and the problem with it was is i was in fourth grade my sister was in sixth grade and my little sister was in second grade my mom and dad were busy working all the time you know work work just they worked hard all the time and so here we are with this dream little dalmatian and I'll never forget it. Um, we probably had it for a year and a half. And I loved it. I, I still have the memories of it and the smells of it and all that stuff when it was a puppy. My parents were building a house. It was like, I remember all this stuff like it was yesterday. I also remember like yesterday when the Saturday morning when I got up and saw the car driving down our driveway and the dog house was in the trunk of the car. And I'm going, <laughs> what happened? And my mom and dad said, well, you know, Domino's gonna go live in the country, and you know he's gonna go live out of town. And I thought he, I was devastated. I mean, I was yeah. really angry at my mom and dad. And it wasn't like it just came out of the blue, but it was. I don't mean to get into the deep history here on this, but it, it's an interesting story because we they talked to me and my sisters about it. They told us, you know, the dog's got to behave. The dog doesn't listen. We couldn't take it for a walk. We tried camping with it once and almost got kicked out of the campground because the dog just barked and it was just it was terrible. Like we did we just we couldn't we loved the dog but we couldn't do anything with it. Had no discipline whatsoever and it just didn't have any obedience. There was no obedience to it. And so we couldn't enjoy it. It was it was heartbreaking to me and my sisters to watch it leave now my mom and dad did they do the right thing i'm still mad at them about it now but i've gotten over it but i i i've i've gotten over that hard feeling towards my parents because i realized it wasn't their fault but the the reality was is that still hurts to to think that 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 happened so one of the things that i people ask me sometimes what do you why do you do what you do and i i love dogs um there's no doubt about that. I love working with them. But I really think it has to do with, that was that was terrible for me. Like that was a terrible thing for me to go through. It was a terrible thing for my family to go through. And I, I really believe that, I was pretty young, but had we, had my mom and dad, had myself and my sisters, had a little bit of an understanding of what we could have done to try to shape that dog a little bit better, and understand yeah. that if you don't, you you create some pretty big problems. Had we been able to do that, we would have been able to enjoy that dog. And that dog would have enjoyed its time with us a lot more. And so I do think that part of the reason I do what we do, and, and when I say we, I mean like our group. Like we've got, we're a very small company, but we've got a great team. 
um, unbelievable team of people that I that I work with here. And when we when I say, when I say what we do what we do, it's because I really think that it helps the dogs. But I want to help people. I want to help people enjoy their dog more. I want people to be able to. I don't want I don't want some kid to watch the doghouse in the dog driveway on Saturday morning. Right. Yeah. No, that's a that's a very personal tale there that gives you that drive to to do what you do and I think that's needed for dog training you know uh, what I'm gonna what I'm gonna title this episode is symbiotic shed hunting <laughs> because uh, I, well first of all I'm a I'm a biology teacher so uh, sure. I need to talk all about those yeah, you better unique uh, you better define symbiotic for for me anyway <laughs> yeah right the the, the uh, but what's interesting about that is when you look at other species in the animal kingdom and the the interactions they have with other critters out there you know for humans yeah it's pretty easy to identify all kinds of uh, creepy crawlers that want to live on us and inside of us Uh, but it's kind of tough to look for what's another animal that we kind of have this you know mutualistic relationship with where both of us are benefiting from the interaction and dogs really fit the bill on that. And, and so in some ways it seems natural to be working with a dog, but then on the other side of it is we're two different species and you, you know, you can only have so much expectation for, for another species to, to be able to work with, with, you sure you know sure and and uh if you don't have that drive to stay committed to it uh you can get bogged down in the the dead ends that you run into or the things that just aren't working or uh maybe uh your own limitations as a handler of what what you know how to do and and uh, it's easy to fall away from so i think having that drive having that purpose is very important in your line of work so that's uh that's that's good to that's good to hear i mean it's a sad story but yeah it's good to hear that you have that that tie to it well i think very personal tie yeah you know i think everybody's got everybody's got their own version of that story and and i think that mm. for me it was it really shook me up now i i think that there's also you know not everybody's made to be a uh, a trainer. Not everyone's made to be a dog trainer. When I say dog trainer, I mean like a professional dog trainer. No question about it. I don't know that. I don't know that I'm built to be a dog trainer, professional dog trainer. When I say that, what I mean by that is I am not built to have a kennel of, of 15 dogs, 30 dogs, 45. I know kennels that have more than that. There is not. There is no interest in me to have that many dogs and go down it systematically like a like a you know punching out widgets I, I i don't that's not what i do i i really love working with dogs and i love figuring them out and i i like i just don't look at it i look at it a little differently i don't look at it as a volume thing and so that's where i think that i probably relate more to your listeners that are they have their they have one dog they have two dogs they maybe have three dogs or they're going to get a dog and you've got a dog i can hear that so you know, for me, when it comes to dog training, I, I, I look at it differently at the idea of it's not a volume thing for me. It's not a, I don't, my business is not driven by bringing dogs in for training. That's that financially, that's not how we do it. Um, what, what I, what I love to do is train and then share information on training 
share some of the situations and the dogs that we're we're training, some of the stuff we're going through, some of the process, the the things because they're all so different. And so, I mean, I know guys that are really good trainers. I've I've known some really good trainers for a long time over the years. And and one of the things that has kind of got me to this point of less is better for me, less is more when it comes to quality versus quantity. And I think that I can provide better information by doing it that way. And the, and the reason is, is because the more, I, I know some guys that train pretty high volume number of dogs. Um, mm-hmm. Not as much, I mean, I know guys that do way more than, than them too, but th- this one guy in particular, he was training quite a few dogs and he was good. He was real good. And I, I, I talked with him for years and years and years, I had a friendship with him and both professionally and personal. But then I mentioned to him once and I was talking to him, he was going on a vacation and we're talking about, I said, well, what, what dogs are you going to bring? And he looked, he, he laughed and he said, I'm not bringing any dogs. And I said, what do you mean? Like this is, it was going fly fishing out West. And I'm just like, God, that would be the perfect trip to bring, bring at least one dog. I mean, I, I'd be bringing some dogs. I wouldn't bring them all, but I'd, I'd, I'd have my dog with me. Right. And so he's, he yeah. said, no, he said, the last thing I want to do is see a dog on vacation. And I, I was, I, okay. And I thought, boy, that, that he, he's burnt out. You know, that's what I was thinking in my mind. Mm-hmm. And so he came, you know, within a year of that, he quit training and he went on to a different, totally different career. And he was a really good dog trainer. Okay. So you were saying, yeah, you were saying, uh, you were saying, hang on a second here. You were saying he was burnt out. Yep. Sorry about that. So, you know, within a year, he quit dog training. And yeah. I was like, I mean, he was burnt out. And I went, I'm not surprised at it based on what I heard over the last, you know, couple of years. And so that was a real powerful moment for me because I was like, you know what? I understand why he quit. But he was really good and he really liked it. I mean, he really enjoyed it. But he got to this point where, he was burnt out with it. And I don't ever want to get there because I look at our right. business and our business is based on, we sell products and we give information away on how to use them. That's really the, what it boils down to. We, there's products that we've developed. There's products that I use. There's products that I really believe in. And I, that's what we do. We manufacture that because we can we can create efficiencies and, and more volume. And like from a business standpoint, we can be successful that way and we can get creative that way. What we... What, what doesn't work is putting that, those tools in people's hands and them not knowing how to use them. Because what happens if they have issues with their dogs or it's not working? Well, it, we're very quick to like have reasons why things don't work. Well, the products don't work. No, it's not that the products don't work. It's that the person using the products don't know, doesn't know how to use them. If I give you tools, but you don't know how to use the tools, you're not going to be able to build anything. So we really believe in this idea. It's kind of a business thing for us is I'll share all the information I can. Like I'll give you the information, but I want, but the idea is you see how to use our stuff and then replicate it to have success of your own. And so it's probably a little different business model than some people do. And and that's okay. Everyone's got different ways of doing things. But to me, the dogs are what the dogs are the part that I enjoy. The dogs are the reasons I try to think of better ways to do stuff. The dogs are the reason. And, it, and why do I do it? You know, it kind of all goes back to 
it's a circle and it links back to the story about Domino. <laughs> you know, like yeah. I, if I had a video, a, like we have a foundation video, we have a puppy video, we have shed training video. Those are ones that we sold. We put, we sell them. They're, they're three and a half hours long. They're produced. They're pretty sequenced. There's a lot of thought into storyboarding that video and then going out and filming it. You saw our gun dog video. That was one that we did prior yeah. to that. That was a little bit shorter. It's no longer, I, I don't even know if they sell them anymore from gun dog, but we, we built off of that and created these bigger ones with a lot more information. So those are tools, but then we also have like a YouTube channel. We have a training library on our website that are all free. And we literally have thousands of videos there that I, if you watched all of those, you would never have to buy any of our videos because everything that's in that video is somewhere in all that other information. But the problem is, is it takes a lot of time. And so not everybody wants to sort through it, watch all that stuff. So I get all that. But the reality is, is our, our objective as a business is provide the tools, share and give the information, how to use them, and that will help you find success with your dog. So we want, I love the dogs because it, it allows me to create this content for people. Like every dog, I got a puppy here that's 12 weeks old, we're creating a full series with her. You're gonna see every training, you're gonna see all the training with her for the next couple mm -hmm. of years. I've got a couple puppies back there that we're gonna be training. Ben, uh, one of the guys that I work with, he's taking one of those puppies. So we're gonna be training his. We're gonna create a series. There's all, all these series that we've done with various dogs over the years. So the dogs motivate me. The dogs give me, they give me the opportunity to create this content. But the, the real, like the big value and the reason I think that I don't train a, a bunch of dogs for people, because if I, let's say I had a 30 run kennel, I'd be able mm -hmm. to, Im, I'd be able to impact positively 30 dogs at a time. Like, yep. and, that, and there's nothing wrong. That's great. I, I think that's awesome. I think we're helping 30 dogs and we're helping 30 dog owners enjoy their dog more. I look at it and go, that's 30. I need, you still good? One second here, Jeremy. Let me, yeah, type down a second. I don't know what my software's doing tonight. It's not a big deal. I just got to go back through and patch all this up, and it's annoying to you to have to keep restarting. So you were saying, I don't train 30 dogs a year. It would be great. You know, 30 dogs is great, but, and then I think I think I know where you're going with that, but that's where you, where you left off. Okay. So three, two, one. So, so, you know, there's, it'd be great. I think it's great to be able to touch that, that number of dogs and help that number of owners. But what I really look at it is we can help so many more by doing things like what we're doing with YouTube. Like I, I feel I train one dog. It's very realistic because I'm, I'm doing it the exact same way that I would do it if I were my own personal dog. Some of them are my own personal dogs. So I walk you through in my, my, videos are probably a lot more boring my videos are probably a lot more they're less exciting they're not nearly as um, appealing from like a highlight standpoint there's a lot of stuff that you see of like repetition and consistency and you see god he's doing that again over and over and over again <laughs> but the reality is that's what it takes like yeah. if you if you just if you just show those light bulb moments when things click for the dog that will be great for people to be inspiring but it will also be frustrating for people because not every session is a light bulb moment. And so we have to like chip away at it, chip away at it, chip away at it, chip away at it. And all of a sudden something happens and it clicks. Well, those, there's not, 
I think it's important to show all the sh- all the shit that happened to lead up to that. You know what I mean? And so our sure. stuff is so that's that's one of the things that we probably are really trying to make a point of doing. And I think people appreciate it. I think it's something that um, I know I'm looking for it. I mean, I, I'll i be honest with you. I, so I got this little setter pup, and I, I've not trained a pointing dog before, ever in my life. So I've never, owned a, oh. I've never owned a pointing dog. I've worked with them from an obedience standpoint, but I've never worked on one in the field. And I've never owned one to hunt in the field. I've hunted over a few enough to get me interested. Um, so this is my this setter is going to be my first pointing breed, and I am real interested. I'm writing a gun dog column for Gun Dog Magazine, uh, documenting it. We're going to be filming it. We'll be sharing it on our training library. We'll be tra- sharing it on. We've done podcasts on it already. We so we're documenting it the best we can, the most thorough we can, and I think it's going to be interesting because I've had a lot of people. I know a lot of guys that have pointing dogs, and I know a lot of people in the pointing dog world, and I've mm-hmm. I've. I've been laughed at plenty of times, but I, hell, I'm used to that. I get laughed at in the retriever world all the time because I don't use a collar. I don't force fetch. I don't treat train. I don't, you know, I, I get laughed at all the time. And that's okay. It used to bug me. It used to bar, bother me a little bit more when I was younger. But like I said before, man, I'm getting old and I just don't let that stuff bother me anymore. Sure. And, and I try not to anyway. And so when it comes to the this pointing dog, I'm really excited about it because I have been... You can, you'll find it in the archives. I have said a dog's a dog. Like, I, I just believe that. I think a dog is a dog to a great extent, and especially with a lot of the foundational stuff. And so I'm, I'm taking an approach with this setter similar to what I would have done with my retrievers, but I can already tell you there's differences. I know that. But I don't know if it's a breed thing or if it's a personality thing with the dogs because no two of my labs are the same either. So it'll be interesting. I'm finding out. I'm, I'm going to become a better trainer I'm sure of that. I'll become a better trainer because of this. And that's part of why sure. I wanted to do it. I'm enjoying it. It's really fun. Um, but I've enjoyed the last, the la- I've been doing this, the first, I'm trying to think, my first Labrador I bought in 1999. It was an American, American, bred, okay. American bred field dog. Really nice dog. Uh, fantastic dog. What hooked me on training because she was just so easy. Uh, she She made me, feel good about myself. So I, that's what really got me thinking, wow, I kind of am good at this stuff. Right. So that was in college. Um, had a, just loved it. Then in 2003, I bought a British bred dog, British field bred dog. And that was my first, first, um, of that style. And I have not owned one different since I've owned a lot of them since I've trained a ton of them. Um, and those dogs, so it's been 19 years of, of working with a very similar style of dog there is a, a, a pattern to them, um, and that's partially genetics. It's partially the breeding part of it. I, I, I've developed a style of dog that, that I've found the style of dog that I like, and it's not British dogs are the best. It's not American dogs are the best. I, certain British dogs are the best for certain people. Certain American dogs are the best for certain people. Certain British dogs are not good for me. I mean, I, just because it's a British dog doesn't mean it's a fit for me. So... I think that I've gotten so comfortable with what I've been doing for quite a while now that it's time to shake it up a little bit. So I I love doing, we do handlers workshops where people bring dogs from all across the country. We've got a couple coming up this spring. We talked about it kind of before we started recording here. I've got two workshops this spring where we we bring people, people come in, 
Um, they bring all sorts of breeds. They bring all sorts of ages. They come from all sorts of different backgrounds and different locations. And it's one of the most enjoyable weekends of the year for me and my my team. I've got a fantastic, awesome. fantastic team that helps me out. And we learn so much. We do. Like the people come to learn. The people come to learn. The dogs benefit. I always tell people we don't train dogs. We train people. And the dogs are the ones that get the extra, you know, takeaway from it. They, they always leave a little better. But the people are what we're here to focus on. And so mm. kind of goes back to that story of the Dalmatian, right? So, but when we have those workshops, myself and my, my team, my, fr- my, my friends that are part of this trainer's team with me, we gain from it as much or more than those that attend it. And it's not just on a dog, it is on a dog level because we get a chance to work with lots of different dogs at lots of different levels and we get to handle stuff that we normally wouldn't be able to handle, wouldn't handle on our own because our dogs would never have those problems because we didn't allow those problems to form in the first place. So it's good for us, it's good for us to see stuff that we don't normally see with our dogs because it keeps us sharp. But we do that, but then the real nice part for us is we get to connect with people. And we get to hear different stories and we get to share stories and we create some incredible friendships from these workshops. They get pretty, they get pretty heavy at times. And I look at that and I go, that's, that's what make, gets me going. That's what pushes me yeah. that, you know, so dogs are, are a conduit for me. Dogs are a lot, are, are things that allow me to connect with some amazing people, um, and and they have for years and years and years. I owe it that I feel in debt to dogs for that reason. Yeah, well, that's really cool to hear how that whole story webs together there, and just your your uh, passion for working with dogs and bring up some great points too on on uh, you know what what all is entailed in getting to know how to use dogs and sure. what our role is as as their their handlers. And, yeah. And uh, it's, it's important to keep all that in perspective. So, you know, another, another thing I've wondered about, so not just your outdoor background, but, or even just your background with dogs, but you chose shed hunting when uh, you kind of, at least from my, my vantage point here on, on the history of, of your company, shed hunting seems to have kind of been around since pretty well the beginning, right? I mean, dog bone was yeah. was kind of that combination of antlers and, and dog training totally how come sh- how come sheds was your your avenue and that was kind of a it, i think there was a lot of intrigue there you know it's just because nobody else really w- well, was looking at that well you know? yeah it was you know we we so myself when i i'm a big deer hunter so linking back kind of everything comes full circle and being from northern wisconsin we're big deer hunters and we mm-hmm. lived we lived off venison growing up it was just everybody's deer hunter up there so i was too um over the years as hunters i think we we evolve and we change and we we go through different phases and so i grew up this a deer hunter because that's what my family did and then i got a little bit older i didn't have dogs when i was younger i didn't have hunting dogs um, so I became really passionate about deer and then I went to college and that was all through high school and it was mm-hmm. 90% of my hunting was, was whitetails. Uh, my sure. dad, my dad did some pheasant hunting with, with his buddies. They would go to the, I, they started, they used to go to Iowa all the time. Then Iowa didn't get that, wasn't that good. They moved to South Dakota. Oh. South Dakota got really tough because of leasing and all this stuff. So then they ended up in North Dakota, but I mean, that was over a 15, 20 year window. 
And so when I was in high school, my dad, I was intrigued by the pheasant hunting stuff, but it wasn't my passion. It was always deer. So then I went to college. And when I went to college, I became a dog guy. That's when I was was 19. That's when I bought my first Labrador. We had golden retrievers growing up. Um, Probably we had the Dalmatian episode, and then we didn't have dogs after that for a long time. Finally, we broke, broke my parents down. I was in... I would have been in like seventh grade, and we finally okay. got got another dog. So we got a golden retrievers, and I probably had two, three, four of them uh, between that. Probably three of them between that time and when I went to college. And so I, but we didn't train the goldens that much. They were they were family dogs. They did a little bit of pheasant hunting. Yeah. But then we went. Then I went to college. Then I bought this lab. And when I bought this Labrador, I had buddies from minnesota so i went to i went to college on the western side of the state we were right right on the minnesota border basically Mm -hmm. and these minnesota guys were big duck hunters all of them sure so i got really into duck hunting in that wind for that 10-year window of my life and that's where the the, the dogs where i was like man this is why i duck hunt is because of the dogs i didn't like duck i didn't like shooting ducks as much as i liked working dogs but sure there was purpose to have the dog there was no reason for me to like work my retrievers for deer like I, there was nothing I was going to do with them so mm-hmm. when I got into the duck stuff I really got into the dogs and took away from my focus on deer and because you you know if you're going to do something in in hunting it it takes a commitment it takes time if you're gonna yeah. do it, if you're gonna do yeah. it well so if you're gonna if you're gonna be a duck hunter it's hard to be a duck hunter a deer hunter a western hunter like it's hard to do all that because there's not enough time so right. I kind of set deer hunting stuff aside during those college years and even after shortly after college and I spent a lot of time duck hunting waterfall yeah. and and you know ducks and geese and I got so into it and I enjoyed it so much with the dogs well then I got out of college and I started working and I started realizing I was I'm not over by those Minnesota guys anymore Wisconsin's hunting wasn't nowhere near as good as it was where we were over there and I realized man I got I was actually in the on the western side of the state, county Buffalo County. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but okay, Buffalo yeah, County, big yeah. big deer, right? I went to college. Yep. I went to college 15 miles from the Buffalo County line. Like I was right in the backyard of giant deer. I used to see big deer all the time in college. Yeah. When when we're when we're driving around looking for birds, and so I kind of missed I kind of missed that window, and I was like, man, I want to I I want to get back into really committing myself to archery like I, I was always I loved archery I loved bull hunting sure. so I was like I really want to put and that took time so I decided I'm getting back into that well then I got back into the deer hunting so heavy and I have buddies that, that I was hunting with over on the western side there in the Buffalo County area my one buddy's a really good outfitter over there and I, I was helping him out with some guiding and I'm doing all this deer stuff and I'm going what the hell am I going to do with this great lab of mine? Like she was fantastic. And she's looking, she's looking at me going, wait a minute, we're not, we're not doing this anymore. And so I felt a little bit bad. I felt, I felt like I got yeah. this gun dog that I'm not using as a gun dog because I didn't have time. And so sure. I had heard about guys using, using dogs to, to uh, look for sheds and, and hunt sheds with. And um, I read an article about it back then. It was a Google search. I, there was one article in outdoor life. I read it a bunch of times and I thought, you know what? I've had a lot of success with my dog. I've had a lot of success with other guys' dogs, like buddies that I helped train. And I thought, I'm going to try it. So I fooled around with an antler and 
again, this is that dog that made me a dog trainer. She was really good and she made me look good and she was easy. And so when I, when I started working with her with an antler, she picked up on it pretty well and she really wanted to please. She had really good, she had a lot of bit ability. She wanted to make me happy. And so she picked up on it really well and I shed hunted with her quite a bit that following spring and I found I had not found a shed before this. Like I, I walked a lot. I looked for a lot of I looked for a lot of miles and hadn't found sheds prior sure. to her. And then I went and we found a couple. I mean, we didn't find a ton, but we found a few that year. And I, well, it was, I, I think we found four or five. That's four or five times what I have found before that. And so I was, I mean, I was all in on the idea of using the dog to shed hunt. And that, when I look at it now, I go, is it because did she help me find those? Yes. Did she find them all while I was sitting in the truck drinking coffee? No, not at all. Like it was, I walked, I walked way more miles when I had her because I had another reason to go. I ended up in better spots. I ended up in, I ended up finding better spots. Like you don't find sheds everywhere in the woods. When you, when you're a good shed, there's a reason why good shed hunters find lots of sheds. It's because they know what they're doing. There's a reason why good duck hunters right. kill a lot of birds because they know what they're doing. There's a reason good deer hunters kill big deer. It's because they know what they're doing. It's not a, it's not an accident. And so right. when I fig- started figuring out where to look for them, when to look for them, like all these little details that I talk with people now that are just starting to get into shed hunting and I start explaining some very basic things and they go, oh, I never thought of that. You know, like don't look where the deer are not right now. Like it doesn't, I don't care. I have so many people that show me big pictures of deer and go, man, I don't, I got to get a shed dog because I can't find antlers on my farm. And I said, okay, well, is it because you don't have a shed dog or is it because there are no antlers there? Well, there have to be antlers there. I have a ton of deer there. There are a lot of big bucks and they break out their phone and they start showing it to me. And I look at these pictures and I go, man, you got giant deer. You, you're right. You got some really big deer. The problem is these pictures are in October and November. And, and I go, where's, where's the food? And they go, what do you mean? I said, well, where's your food? Late season food. Well, we plant some green plots and we got some brassica stuff and we got some really nice kill plots and micro plots, but they have nothing when it comes to late season food. And I go, well, find the late season food. You'll find those antlers because, because, but I didn't realize that back then. I just figured the deer in the woods, the antlers should be there too. And so, but, so I started going more with the dog. I found some that fueled my kind of fueled my energy on that. So then I bought a puppy and I, I thought, well, hell, if this dog, she was eight, my dog was eight years old when she started shed hunting, my first one. And she, so that would have been like 2007. And so she is no longer with me, but I bought a puppy because I went, I am going to train the next one to shed hunt. Like, this is what I'm going to do. So I went and I bought this puppy. That was my first British dog. That was in 2003. So it was the first Actually, she was my second British dog. The first one I got in 2003, I got her probably in 2005. So the second, okay. the second one I took and I bought her and I was going to use her to shed hunt. And I took her and she was doing really well, but she was about six months old and doing well and ex- excitable and loved to retrieve and do all that stuff and just puppy, a lot of puppy in her. And I remember I was, yeah. walk- I was walking on a piece of property and we found an antler. And so I thought, well, and she was just walking with us. And so I took it and I pitched it. And the road was real icy. It was, you know, middle of the winter. And the road was slick and icy. And I threw the antler on the road and she ran up to it. And I thought, this is perfect. I'm going to introduce this little puppy. She's going to 
figure out what an antler is. So I threw the antler, little four-point side. She ran after it with a lot of enthusiasm, just the way she had been, you know, for months. And she hit it, and she slid, and she, like, slid on the ice. And she yipped. Mm -hmm. And she turned around, and she came running back to me. And it was like, I knew right away what happened. She poked herself on the antler, and she acted like it bit her. I mean, she had, and she was a pretty soft dog. Um, She had a really sweet, soft personality. She's actually the grandma she would be the great grandma of these puppies that are in the other room. She's, oh, this is the okay. fourth. This is the fourth generation out of that line of dogs. So that I, I, that's a total another conversation about genetics. But I really liked those that line of genetics. So she was soft, and she was she had not, she didn't want to have anything to do with an antler. And so that's when I was yeah. like, oh my god, I bought a I bought a dog to shed hunt with with the intentions of shed hunting with her, and she's afraid of antlers. And so it was, it was a little discouraging to say the least, but it's what got my mind thinking about why and how. I, I think a lot of times when we run into problems with training, we're quick to try to figure out a fix. We want a remedy to the symptom. So we want to figure out, we want to figure out how to fix, uh, you know, why I got to fix how to be, how my dog's afraid of antlers. How can I fix that? My dog's gun shy. How can I fix that? My dog won't do this. How do I fix that? We, we, we get into this mindset of it's broken. How do I fix it? I think one of the things you got to do is ask, why is it broken? Why are you having the problem that you're having? Because that's what you got to address. Like there are, there are times where, you know, you need to have like an on the spot fix, like a correction or a praise or whatever. I, I think that that is timing and it's very important. But I also think that it's overlooked that we have to understand what the reason is that the dog is doing what it's doing. And so I thought, started thinking about it. And I thought, well, how come she is afraid of antlers? How come if I pick an antler up, she wants to go in the other room? And it's because she was introduced to it in a really negative way. And I, yeah. and so then I started thinking about my bird dogs. Well, I never take a, if I want, if I got a dog, I'm going to be a pheasant. I'm going to hunt pheasants with it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to take that pheasant dog as a young dog and put it in a pen with a rooster and hope we get a pheasant dog out of it because it won't, because it won't happen. Way too many things that are going to be uncontrolled, way too many things that are going to be potentially negative. Could it, could it work? Sure. But I'm not rolling the dice on the investment. Like I'm a, I'm going to stack the odds in my favor. So with my little pheasant dog, I'm starting out with a balled up sock in the hallway. I'm going to a canvas you know, a, a fire hose puppy dummy. I'm going to tape some wings to it. I'm going to add some scent to it. I'm going to take steps to get to a bird. And so why why not take the steps to get to the antler and make sure that every time I get there, it's successful. So that's when this idea came into my head and I was like, God, I, there's nothing out there. There's lots of stuff out there to do that with bird dogs. There was nothing. But to be honest with you, back then, you talk about shed hunting with people with a dog, it was really unheard of. I mean, and we're not the first people to do that. Other people did it. There was articles in Outdoor sure. Life written way before me. But there was not that many people doing it. There was not that many people talking about it. Hell, when I talk about shed hunting, people didn't know what I was talking about. They thought shed like building. So right. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I used to knock on doors anywhere and everywhere. I, w- I used to knock on, I'd see a good, I'd see a standing cornfield with a cow path going into it in the middle of the winter. I'd knock on yeah. their door and find out, I'd find out who owned it. I'd knock on their door and I'd say, hey, do you mind if I walk your field was, when the snow starts melting, I'm going to look for antlers. And they thought I was nuts. That You're what? You're going to go walk around and look for antlers? I said, yeah, you know, you got the standing corn. 
Well, sure, because it'll keep it out of my tires. You know, like they they were yeah. all in favor of it. They had they thought it was crazy, and they said go for it. It wasn't, but five, maybe five years later, you knock on a door and you maybe get permission on one out of three or four. Today, it's even harder. It became pretty popular. And so the idea of shed hunting has grown in popularity. The idea of using your dog has grown in popularity. They compete. They have competitions now. They have all these things. I think it's fantastic. I think it's great. I think it grows the interest in it. And I think it's back to this idea of, again, it's something positive that you are going to get enjoyment out of and your dog is going to get enjoyment out of. And to me, I'm 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 a big fan of that. So I look at I look at this that way and I go, that was when, I mean, obviously when I first started, the idea was not to create a business or a company. My idea was, how do I not get a dog afraid of an antler next time? And so that was this, yeah. okay, so I started looking at, you know, how I trained my bird dogs. I replicated it with the idea of an antler. I got creative with the idea of how can I make something that smells like this antler, make it so that it's easy for me to have. I used this stuff for for years, my a couple years myself, I wrote some patents on it. I mean, I I worked construction the whole time, and I was working construction. And then it took yeah. a took a pretty big leap of faith. Um, you you if anyone's ever worked kind of a side hustle before, you go so far, and then you realize there aren't enough hours in the day to do both, and there isn't enough finance to do both. And so I I worked construction to pay for developing this idea. And finally, I got to the point where I said, "I gotta try it," and, and or I'll or I'll I'll never be satisfied. So I, I quit my job, um, which was uh, I can't tell you how many people looked at me and went, "You're, you're what? You're gonna do what?" I I sold my truck. I mean, I had a nice truck at the time. I, I was doing pretty well. Construction was treating me very well. My family really well, and I had to sell my truck. I had to. I poured some concrete on the side. I mean, I did a lot of little side job stuff for a while, um, just sure. to make just to make bills happen. But then, um, I mean, I went. I, I started driving a '99 Ford Ranger two wheel drive, and when I pulled up to my parents' house and they saw that, and they said, "What is that?" I mean, this is like high school ghetto beater. And they're like, "I said it's all I can afford." I said, and they looked at me and they said, "You're really going to do it, aren't you?" I said, "Yeah, yeah, I am." And so that was like. A moment for me and then it, and then it was just right. now you get going and and we've been really we've been really lucky uh we've developed some tremendous relationships with people over the years um and and we've just grown the business so the the shed stuff is what started us we went into some uh from there we went into tracking i was training dogs for people to, to hunt yep. ant, to be shed dogs and those people said hey can you track with the same dog i started investigating that i started talking with canine trainers for police police handling units. I learned a whole bunch about tracking. I worked with a group called the United Blood Trackers. They have a wealth okay, yeah. they have a wealth of knowledge that they're willing to share with people that are interested in getting involved. I joined that. I became networking with those people. I I just committed to this idea of okay, we're going to build this this deer dog idea. And that's where that's really what got us going. And then and we did that for years and years and years. And then um more recently, I've realized, you know, my passion is dogs and people. And so the obedience part, the foundation part, that all has to be there in order to have the shed dog. That has to be there in order to have a tracking dog. Has to be there yeah. if I want to have a gun dog. Has to be there if I want an upland dog. So, and I, you know, as we get older, 
my deer hunting is I'm nowhere near as passionate about the deer mm-hmm. hunting as I used to be. I hunt for a, a group sure. North American Whitetail. I do a bunch of stuff with those guys. Love mm-hmm. love their group. They're owned by the same company the Gun Dog is. I do tons tons of stuff with them because it's just a real natural fit and a good synergy. But I don't my deer I get more enjoyment. I'm looking around right now and I'm looking at some really big deer on the wall that my kids shot. I'm looking at some really big deer that my mm-hmm. wife shot. I got I get as much excitement of being able to mentor a young guy like my son who's not even young anymore he's 20 but or or my nephew when he shot his first deer uh, two years ago with me and then he shot one this year by himself and like i get i love that part of the deer hunting as much as i do and don't get me wrong i love to shoot a deer once in a while but and i, I got lucky this year we killed a really nice deer with a muzzle loader that was awesome oh, it was it was awesome for me it'll be a, you know it's something that will be with north american whitetail tv but I was so excited about that because it was fun for me. And I, I, yeah. went, I went through phases of hunting where I was ornery about it because the neighbor shot the buck I was after and all that. It's phases that we go through. And I think it's, the idea is, is somewhat like if as a trainer we go through phases too. And I had to be careful. I, I can't get so into training dogs from a volume standpoint that I lose my love for it, my passion for it. So right, yeah. it's, it's life, man. It's just, it's the way it is. And, um, but the, that's the story behind you know, it. I made a short story pretty long there, but that's kind of the background. Oh, it's of, cool to hear. Yeah. It's, it's cool to hear all that. And, and it's something I've always wondered about, you know, because like you said, there's, there's tons of other stuff out there for decades on how to train every other kind of, I guess you'd say working dog. Sure. Um, but, but uh, yeah, sheds were they were kind of a new thing, and and uh, what's interesting too, we say there about the change in shed hunting, and uh, I'm supp- I, I suppose that people like like myself are are kind of responsible in to some regard, and and people like you too, who've uh, kind of put that out in the spotlight a little bit more, and uh, certainly there's there's been plenty of other people uh, before us doing that too, For sure. and. Um, you know, people see that it's fun, but I agree. I think it's good that people are doing it. You know, it might mean that my shed counts a little bit less at the end of the day, or I might not have the access I want because I think it connects people to the land, makes them value the land uh, again, you know, sure. and, and want to want to pay attention to what, what there is to enjoy on the landscape. So, yeah, I, I, uh, I definitely agree with you there to, uh, just seeing how that there's been that uptick even in the i guess i started shed hunting before i started hunting so i think i'm going into maybe my my ninth eighth or ninth shed season now so sure but yeah it's definitely got a lot more popular over the years and oh and, for sure uh, yeah i think it's cool too that that uh dogs have been very much so incorporated into that so uh yeah i think i think that's an awesome story well i want to before we you know, we'll, we'll kind of finish this show up on just talking some some good training, practice, some practical stuff for yeah. handlers. But uh, before I do, a question that you know, the the best shed hunter I know, he's a guy. He doesn't have a dog, doesn't use a four wheeler, just just puts puts some puts in the miles. Mm-hmm. And uh, he he found uh, a couple years ago. I think it was spring of 2020, maybe. He found, I think it was 105 antlers. 
just walking. Sure. And and uh, the the thing that he said to me was, I often wonder what have I walked past. Sure. <laughs> and I got to think that having a good a good well trained shed dog could kind of answer his question, because you see a, an animal that's not just operating off of sight. You know, the yeah. scent is a part of it as well. Mm-hmm. So. As, as a shed dog handler and a good shed dog handler, so so dogs that are very well trained going into the field, how often do you think the average, we'll, say, we'll call them dogless, shed hunter walks past antlers? Do you think it's like all the time or do you think people are thorough enough to where, yeah, you know, the dog sees it, I saw it too. But, but uh, what I mean, what do you think? On I that? think, you it think could... most people are walking by antlers a lot. I think... It, you can't answer that question, unfortunately. I think it's 100% dependent on the person. Um, you know, because I, I, I know sure. guys I know guys that are really good shed hunters. Uh, there's a buddy of mine named Mark Fox. Is he, He's a shed hunter. That's the guy that I would go and shed hunt with over in Buffalo County. And sure. he finds more than anyone like I, that I know. I mean, he's he is unbelievable. Now, I, I trained a dog for them. They're outfitters there. They own Bluff Bucks Outfitters. They have a dog that I trained for them. And... Mark would find over a hundred sheds every year. I mean, it wasn't that was that wasn't that was like that was he's doing okay if he's finding you know if he's got a hundred. And so, <laughs> but he he is probably a really good example. Like when I trained Scout for him, he's got a dog named Scout, and she tracks for them too, and she shed hunts. Scout Scout will pick up. Out of that hundred, Scout will pro- I don't know what percentage, but she'll pick up some that Mark wasn't going to get for whatever okay. reason. But I don't, but Mark is really good. Like Mark found a yeah. whole bunch of them before he had Scout. And he's he would find a whole bunch of them if he didn't have Scout. But I guarantee you that where Mark shed hunts, you get a little. I got a little noise in the background here. Lillian's down That's eating okay. cereal. So here's the the idea of regular life. Lillian, Lillian, no, leave that there, okay? So when Mark goes shed hunting, he could shed hunt a farm and find twenty antlers on it. And I might walk it. I might find fifteen. You know, like I, I'm not a bad shed hunter. I I've gotten sure. pretty I've gotten pretty good. Like I, I it's a it's a, you have to have a trained eye for it. Like you have to literally right. practice right. at it. I walk by a bunch of them early on. I can tell you that right now. The first couple weeks, the first times I go, the first couple times I go shed hunting, I'm gonna walk by way more than I would the last week of shed hunting. Because I start to get a cadence and a pace in the woods. Like I start to develop my speed. I develop what to look for. I I start to really hone in on the sign. Like I look at things differently. I start to analyze where I'm going. I don't just shed hunt. I I get the exercise part of it. I love that part of it. But if I when I was in my prime when it was shed hunting season, I used to find a lot more than I do today. Because sure. Now I go and I walk in the woods and I'm easily distracted because I'm looking for sign from last fall and I'm going, ooh, I, we should hang a stand here. Oh, the wind would be, the wind right, would be good right. here. The wind, you know, I'm looking. Hell, you get later in the spring. You're, I know people that are easily distracted by the idea of looking for mushrooms and you know, like there's. So if you're focused and dialed in, which this guy Mark is, as dialed in of a whitetail guy as I've ever met. 
He kills bigger deer than anyone I know with consistency. He he doesn't go out there and mess around. He's like if he were a basketball player, he's not the guy that's just fooling around at the YMCA. Like he is this guy that's going into a gym and like working and like he's the guy you want on your team. Like he's just right. So I think that the question of well, how many sheds does a guy walk by? Well, it depends on who the guy is or girl. You know, it just depends. So. I think that do you find more with a dog? Yes. No question about it. You'll find more if you've got a shed dog. Is it because is it because the dog is going to find them all? Hell no. Because you should be a shed hunter too. Like it's it, it, the same can be yeah. said that probably the easier analogy for people to understand is tracking dogs. So tracking dogs will find deer. No question about it. Guys and girls will find deer without a dog. They're tra- they're trackers. They have to look for certain sign. They have to find clues. They have to understand what a deer will do at certain points. They they have to they have to have a knowledge. You have to be a woodsman, and you'll find you'll recover animals. The dogs will find the animals as well. But what really is where you get dangerous and good is when you and the dog are together as a team. Then you're on. Then you're as bulletproof as you're going to get. So yeah. I look at the same way with shed dogs. I want to go and I want to put the dog in. the The best shed dog in the world will not find a shed if you don't put them in an area where there is a shed. You're you're yeah. part. You're a real. You're a real important part of this squad. So if you don't know what the hell you're doing, and that takes time. And that takes a lot of practice, and it takes a lot of experience. And so the reason the shed dog is nice, the reason the shed dog was nice for me when I, that first season, her name was Remy. And when I had Remy, the, re, the, the reason I was just, the hook got set on me was because we found four or five sheds that year. And the, yeah. re, the reason was probably, shh, it's okay. The, the reason... Now, there's a good trainer. She said, Makina's not on her place. She was sneaking off on me. The reason that I found those antlers was partially because I had Remy. And I wanted to find a shed. I wanted to train a shed dog. And so I walked more. I walked more places. I went to spots that I probably wouldn't have gone otherwise. But I did, and I happened to find one. And when I found my first one, that was like eye-opening to me because I never would have thought that there would be an antler there. It was in an area that I just didn't, it was in an area that I did not expect to find an antler and I found it. Sure. And I thought, well, is that, wait a minute. I would have never walked through here and I found one and I found it. It was in thermal cover. It was in a cedar swamp. It was in an area that was just pounded down with sign like trails, tracks, you know, the, the beds, droppings i mean it was like my dog my dog had a full stomach he was eating so much poop i mean there was just poop everywhere and if you're a shed dog guy you understand that because that's caviar to them so so i'm i'm sitting there and i'm like man i can't believe i found this antler i'm just super jacked up about it but then my mind went to immediately where's another spot that's like this where's another where's another spot that i can find this kind of sign so then all of a sudden I became a better shed hunter because I went, I'm actually learning where these things could be. So then I started realizing like it's specifically 
because of a lot of elements. There was thermal cover in this area. It was adjacent to a, a, a corridor that it was really inaccessible. Like there's a reason why it was all pounded down because no one went in there. And why would I have not gone in there? Because it was kind of a pain to get into it. So it was quiet. The deer weren't bumped. There was a 40 acre cornfield less than, you know, it was probably as the crow flies, it was probably a couple hundred yards. But like you, for me to get there, I'd had to go down this road and then I had to turn. I never even thought about it. Hell, I didn't have topo maps back then. I didn't, I didn't have yeah. apps. I didn't have, I didn't see all that stuff. So I look at that and I go, if you're in tune with what's going on and you pay attention to the success you find, yes, you'll find more But if with a dog. But if you take a dog for a walk and you walk the exact same trails that you've walked every year for the last 10 years and not find an antler, you're probably not finding an antler. And it's not because yeah. you don't have a shed dog. It's because there aren't any antlers there. You won't find them if they're not there. So we'll, you know, this guy knows what he's doing. So he's finding 105 antlers. He knows where to go to find antlers. Will he find more? Probably. And so does Mark find more with Scout? Yeah. He might find 110 instead of 105. But he's going to find 105 no matter what. But I look at that and I go, he's a rare guy to find 100 antlers a year. I, I look at this and I go, for some people, because this is where people think that you get a shed dog, you're going to find hundreds of antlers. Not if they're not there. So, but what I look at it is, yeah. is if you are you if you're used to finding two or three antlers a year, like some people, that's it. There, some people would die to find one. You know, they, that's what all they want to do is find one antler. So, I was like that. I, I I know what that feels like. So, for that person to find one, and then their dog find one, they just doubled. One the dog found one yeah. the dog found one antler, and they just one hundred percent doubled their number of sheds that they found. And so I look at that and I go, as a percentage, it's huge. As a number, it maybe isn't that big. But what are we in this for? Like there's no, you don't get, you don't get prizes for the guy that found the most antlers. The antlers are the prize. And if you get two instead of one, that's a good return on your time and, and effort. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, it's a really good point. And it's it's nice to have that, that uh, I guess, that question addressed sure you know like you said you can't fully answer that but i think that's pretty close to to reality there you yeah know, you know absolutely i 100 percent agree when people aren't finding antlers it's because that there, there aren't deer there you sure, know, they, sure they're looking in places where where deer just are not hanging out anymore and sometimes you know you think about okay where are deer even at during this time of year right now right late january early february but some of those deer are going to carry antlers around until march and april so sure. where are they going to where are they going to be coming back into absolutely once, you know they're some all the snow's pretty much gone and that's at, at my latitude here you know that's you the know, that's I, the thing for some hunt for some guys we think about deer year round there's a lot of them yeah. there's a lot of them there's more now that do than ever i think but there's also a lot of hunters that think about deer eh, from about middle of October till like November 15th ish. And then it's like, Oh, on to the next thing, they're ice fishing or they're doing this yeah. or doing that. I'm not saying that you can't find antlers if you're, if that's your idea of, of focus on deer, but you're probably, your chances are less because yeah. you, you gotta like, it's, there's a reason why certain people find success with certain stuff and it's because they're hypersensitive to the, the fine details. 
And so yeah. I just think that that That's is it's overlooked. You know, I'll, this little pointing dog of mine that I just got, I'll become. I've gotten I've gotten a lot better over the last few years hunting grouse up by our cabin. Grouse is a pretty tough bird to find. I know a lot of guys that do it and don't don't. They're they're just a tough bird to hunt. They're a tough bird to shoot. They're sure. a tough bird. They're they're hard to find. All that. I've gotten a lot better over the last few years, and it's because I have pretty good. I got pretty good flushing dogs, and we've had a lot of success with it. And so, but this dog, I know what these setters do, and so they're bird finders. So I have these retrievers that work a 15 to 20 yard pattern with me, and they follow my lead, and I take them into areas, and I have gotten better at getting flushes because I read the cover better. I read on our maps better. I read it on foot better. And I get dogs into areas, and we find success and find a few birds. And then I'll go into some areas and go, there aren't any birds in here. I'm not walking that kind of cover. The thing that, that's different about this, this pointing dog is the range and the, how the style and how they hunt. So what I'm, gonna get, what I'm excited about from a bird hunting standpoint is I'm going to become a better bird hunter. So one of the things that I think I'm going to find out real quickly is the difference between that flushing dog at 15 to 20 yards in gun range to the dog that works 75 to 100 to maybe 125. I don't really want them any bigger than that, but some guys want them way bigger than that, and that's fine. Lillian, no more, no more. So another interruption from a three-year-old, but so you get that dog, you get that dog with the bigger range, even at hundred yards, I'm going to become a better grouse finder because I'm going to have a better grouse finder to follow. She's going to tell me where birds are. And so that, that to me, it, it takes out the, the element of me leading her into the wrong spots to not find birds. And instead it's me following her to the right spots because there's birds. I'll become a better grouse hunter because of it. And so I think the same yeah. can be said about shed hunting. Yeah, that's a great point. I love that point. Dogs kind of kind of do some of that heavy lifting when it comes to figuring it out right. for, for us sure. by, by having that extra really powerful sense that pulls them into good shedding country for sure territory for sure yeah that's a that's an excellent point well hey let's uh as we we kind of wrap this one up here just want to hit you with a couple of rapid fire training specific things here um first of all you know kind of just starting out with with how dog training goes specifically with this shed hunting application you know, people might be listening to this and be like, oh, man, I'm going to have to go out and I'm going to have to buy a new pup because, uh, you know, I've never, you know, I never thought about training them for finding sheds. And, you know, that's it's so hard to, you know, the old adage, teach an old dog new tricks. Uh, but, I mean, of course, you got the story that you shared, too, about your... First dog was, yeah, first... Uh, yep, yep, yeah. your waterfowl dog that yep. you uh, retrained on sheds. But, but uh is it is it true that some dogs can just maybe be too far aged out of it to to be taught how to so let's go back to my example of theo my my Brittany. you know if if i want to take my six and a half year old dog and try and get him going on sheds now or you know re-pick up that training where we left off years ago would would that be a worthwhile effort or is is he probably going to be like yeah that's not going to be something he's going to take to now. My, the easy answer is I, I don't think dogs are too old to learn anything. 
I think you got to understand sure. that you got, I think you got to understand that there's there's years of habits there. So you might have to change mm-hmm. some you might have to change some of the undesirable habits and you might have to shape and form the desirable ones. What I think what I think the ans- my answer to that to you would be cuz I some people ask me is it worthwhile for me to do that? Should I spend the time is it worthwhile? And I look at it and I go what do you have to lose? The dog's not go- the dog's not going anywhere. How old is Theo? Six. Six and a half. You're gonna have him. You're gonna have him in the field for another six years minimum, right? I mean, it, more than likely. Yep. So, you could you could say, oh, he's already six, and then just for the next six years, go. Oh, I guess I guess I guess we don't do it with him. I guess we don't. Or you could say, you know, he's six years old. I'll have realistic expectations with it, and over the next year or two, let's just work towards it. And if he finds an antler. Awesome. If he doesn't, what did what did you what did you lose? You know. Yeah. So true. so I, I feel like a lot of times, you know, to me, what what's what is the real end goal? Would you if you have fun with him for the next couple of years trying and don't find an antler, you had fun with him for the next couple of years. If you have fun with him and you find an antler, all the better. But if you if you if you if you beat yourself up over it and you make it so that it's not fun, then I would say no, don't do it because it's not fun for the dog. So don't don't put yourself through it. But I look at it and I go, it's all about perspective. You, I hell, I'd love to find more stuff to do with my dogs. So the more I can do, the better, the better, the more I enjoy them, the better the the experiences. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, I think I do just need to get all Theo going again on the on the training and you know every time I, I move a shed or something in the house his he, he perks up and he's looking at it and if I give him a chance to sniff it out or something oh man he's all over it sure. so it's like he he's remembers, got it he, yeah so hey, this is this yeah. is significant yeah so so I think you got to get back to it but yeah so that brings me to my next question now Theo is a Brittany he's so he's a classic upland bird dog do bird dogs make good shed dogs or even are there are there any sporting breeds that people might have that from your experience just do not take to finding sheds or is uh that pretty much a a skill that any dog can pick up i think i think the question of breeds is all about preference they all have good noses i think you got to think about what what you what do you need to have a shed dog the skills to me are they got to be able to hunt, use their nose, natural game finding ability. So that's that's really important. I like dogs that retrieve naturally because it's one less thing for me to train. Can you train dogs that don't retrieve to retrieve? Yeah, you can. It's just more work. So I prefer the dogs that yeah. do things naturally. So game finding and noses, ability to retrieve. Because what does a shed dog do? They got to find it and then they got to bring it back to you. That's what my dogs. That's what I want my dogs to do. So I look at the breed perspective. Uh, idea of it and i go do britneys have good good noses for sure right do they retrieve naturally some do probably some don't as much my setter here retrieves pretty well she didn't start out retrieving very well but she's only 12 weeks old but i did a few things with her and all of a sudden it kind of like it made her look like a lab all of a sudden and then next thing i know she's (laughs) then i all of a sudden next thing i know she's retrieving and so some setters are more natural retrievers than others. I imagine that's the same with a Brittany. But the idea, my, so if the dog retrieves, 
you're in pretty good shape. If the dog's got a good nose, you're in pretty good shape. What if the dog want like bitability is a willingness to please. If they have that, which most canines do, that's why we domesticated them. The if they have that willingness to please, you're in pretty good shape. So when you start taking all those things and you look at it and go, can my dog do it? Yeah, I think you probably got it stacked up pretty good in your favor. What how you're going to get it out of them? That's the question. The you know tracking dogs track naturally retrievers retrieve naturally pointers point naturally we don't train them to do that so will will she point the shed antler i doubt it i don't think that's built into them to do that but do will the pointer retrieve the dead bird most a lot of them will and a lot of them are trained to do that and we want them to do that so if we can get the dog to understand what the reward is for retrieving and enjoy that can you condition them to understand that an antler is good and gets you a retrieve and makes dad real happy i mean does your dog like to make you happy oh yeah so yeah, that, so absolutely. there you go so you've got you've got a lot of those a lot of those parts and pieces i think yeah that's that's a that's a great point good way to look at it man i'm getting excited now i'm gonna have to yeah hey, I'm, I'm a motivational speaker for you <laughs> that's right that's right well, that's good to know i've always wondered that some some breeds are better at it than others but sure. yeah i think old theo he he uh he's got definitely got a good nose be- on him and has the drive so when i was in college when i was in college i belonged to this pheasant club this is put and take pheasant farm thing that we bought birds we trained sure. our do- we trained our dogs on it and we were broke college kids, and we could never afford to buy birds. But we would be members, and then we'd go hunt scratch birds. So the the rich okay, guy, yeah. the rich guys would go there on the weekend. They'd put out their birds, and they didn't really care if they shot them or not. And then and they weren't that good, and their dogs weren't that good. And then on Monday morning, Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, we'd go and hunt, and we'd clean up on birds that were scratch birds. And so that was how we developed good good bird dogs back in the day. The best scratch hunting dog on that farm was a member that had a german shepherd and he brought that shepherd and he absolutely there wasn't a dog that was going to out hunt that dog on scratch birds so a lot of people look at that breeding part a little bit too much i think because that if you looked at him you'd go that's not a bird dog it was it was the best one it was the best one there so but the dog was real biddable and wanted to please and the guy was a hell of a trainer and so you combine these things together and you can get them to do just about anything. Wow, that's a cool story. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, a, that's, that's very true. It just kind of boils down to those same basic skills yeah. and personality traits too, for sure. Okay, so, so then it, as we're getting into a training routine here, um, you talk about really, I think, if I, if I remember correctly back early in the show, you're talking about obedience and some of the basic training. I remember the, the sock training, doing that with Theo mm-hmm. when he was a pup, you know, throwing the sock down the hallway. And yep. then if I remember right, well, there was a tennis ball phase as well where we start putting a little bit of scent on I like building, yep. tennis ball. I use that as a scent, as a hunt command. I, use, I like to use tennis balls for that, yep. Yep, I remember, I remember doing that. So is it, once you get past that, are you then starting to work some of the sight recognition by by going with the antler outline? If I remember correctly, in the training video, you did some stuff with like it might have been cardboard cutouts. No, I don't. Like. I don't. I don't do that. Um, to me, I I don't see a need for it. 
Um, I use sure. I use the train okay. I use the training dummy, um, and I I yep. work I work a lot of drills with the idea of dog understands what the retrieve is and that shape is what gets it for him. Okay. So okay. I don't. I don't. Yep. So. Yep. So start 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 using some of that, but then you got to get to this this reality of consistency, and you know we we talked about that at the very beginning of the show. What to you is consistency? Is it getting out every single day, three days a week? What what you know just having a predictable routine for the dog. Well, it's, what what is the best definition for consistency? It's it's doing it's it's having a standard and and not allowing not being flexible on that. Like behavior wise, there are certain behaviors that are desirable and there are some that are undesirable. We don't let the desirable have happen. When it does, we correct it. We encourage the the right behavior. We try to set them up for success and then we reward with praise when it happens. But that goes, life is inconsistent in my house. There's a soccer, there's soccer going on. There's volleyball going on. There's a three-year-old drawing and playing with a setter next to me right now who just got done eating a movie and eating life cereal. So it's 8.30 at night and she's eating cereal. And it's her bedtime. So the, the consistent, so am I super consistent? Routine-wise, no. Because we're human. And our, our lives are very normal that way. Are we super consistent with our expectations of our dog? It, yes. So, like, when things get a little nuts around here and the dog, this young dog can't handle it, I'm going to pick the puppy up and go put it in the crate. And I'm because I'm because yeah. I'm I'm talking about setting dogs up for success and she won't have success much longer under these conditions. So I'm going to pick her up and put her in her kennel. And then she's got to be okay with that. And then in certain times, she's got to be okay with what she's doing right now, which is on her place. And she's being teased by my three-year-old daughter, and it's driving me nuts. But it's 8.30 at night, and she just ate a bowl of cereal, and now she's all fired up. So I got to look. So, like, we have to be consistent when it comes to certain things, and that is behavioral expectations. We can't can't have two sets of rules for the dog. It's not fair. So, yeah. you know, our it's the same with these kids. You know, eight thirty. Unfortunately, we're we're in a, we're in a bad routine here. Eight thirty, my kid gets fired up. It's supposed to be your bedtime, but right. we aren't as consistent as we should be, and so we pay the price for it. But you know what? We'll get through right. it. And it's you know we have we. We, we, we make our lives a little harder when it comes to that. When I say we, I mean my wife and I. But I don't, I don't do that with the dogs nearly as much because it's not fair on the dogs. Sure. And so you have to be consistent in order to form habits. And you have to figure out how to be as consistent as you can with jumbled schedules. Some people have very routine schedules. Their dogs, it's a lot easier on them. So, but I, I end up with pretty good... I end up with pretty... Okay, Lillian, that's enough. I end up with pretty good results. And that's because I've gotten pretty good at being creative. I, You know, sure. tonight we're recording... We started recording a podcast way later than I ever would say would be the best to do it. But I had a plan. I had a movie on. Well, the, that you saw how that went. So then she came down here and I said, okay, well, I'll sneak in a bowl of cereal. You can sit on my lap for a little while. 
but now we're getting to the point where we're we're pretty far into this and it's starting to slip you know that i'm losing control here at my house so you don't panic you don't get upset i i there were times in my life where i would have said shut up that's enough (laughs) very easy but i've become i look at it now and i go you know what that doesn't help you gotta keep your cool you gotta realize what's going on so i know we're getting towards the end here and and sometimes it's the best thing you do is you go yeah let's wrap this up you're talking on a training session things aren't we're fading dog is fading attention span struggling she was really good my daughter was really good on my lap for about 45 seconds that was her attention span it's like a little puppy and then she's on to the next thing so as a parent i have to be patient with that and realize i got to get better at reading this you know so we're probably pushing it right now we're at an hour and a half i think right now and that's probably pushing the limit of what i can get away with and maintaining the control under the roof and so instead of getting upset about it i gotta do a just take a deep breath because it's really not that bad yeah she's wound up yeah but i'll get off with you and then i'll sit down with her and i'll say hey it's getting close to bedtime. We gotta go put pajamas on. We gotta go do this, and then all of a sudden we're back into the routine. And she goes, "Oh yeah, this is what I do before we go to sleep." But right now, normally she doesn't go for an hour and a half unsupervised, and I crossed my fingers and hoped it would work. So we, so I shook it up. I shook it up a little bit in here tonight, and now I take it and I calm it back down. And I think when you, if you take on that. Dog training has made me a better dad. It's made me a better employer. It's made me a better employee for other people that, I've, that I work with. It's made me a better friend. It's made me a better husband. It's been all these things that's helped me improve. And the reason is is because it's it's forced me to become more patient. It's forced me to just yeah. look at things at a little bit different perspective and realize, you know, the construction life, I was a totally different person. Back then it was push through, man push through just go 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 we had to because that's our livelihood efficiencies productivity right and and physically like you just sucked it up and did it it didn't matter if it was heavy pick it up now i look at it and i go that son of a bitch is really heavy is there a better way to do it should i go about it a little bit differently instead of being but you know what i'm older man i used to have a young back that was pretty good and then i hurt my back a few times and now i look at it and go i don't think i'm gonna pick that up I'm going to figure out yeah. a different way. Yep. So yeah. that's how it goes. Well, that's a good way. That's a good way to wrap this one up right there. We've yeah, man. Be, it was fun. Be willing to adjust and, and make the changes and read the, read the situation that that's there. And the situation may not be the same from day to day either. You totally. know, it's, uh, I'm, people have good days and bad days and I'm sure, uh, same can be said for our dogs. And, Absolutely. You know, whatever the environment is, too, at that time. You that, bet. The environment is never controlled. And so, uh, yeah, helping helping to uh, stay calm through that helps your dog stay calm, helps them learn as well. For but, sure. Well, Jeremy, as we uh, close this one out, how can people follow along and track you down and maybe even order some of the shed hunting products that you yeah, guys best, have to offer or just dog training material. Sure. Best way is pro- is like all of our handles are dog bone hunter. So it's at dog bone hunter for all of our social stuff. Uh, dog bone hunters, our YouTube dog hunter.com is our website. So um, do- if you Google dog bone hunter, that's where you're going to find um, 
links or connections to just about all the stuff we're doing. We've got a podcast. We've got the training library on the website. Like the, the I, I get a lot of DMs. I get a lot of text messages. Like my pa- my phone number is on the back of our package, so my phone rings a lot. And so <laughs> you know, I I literally I talk with people about dogs often. Um, I do my best to get back as quickly as possible. I spent, uh, forget what I was doing the other night. I had something where I, oh, well, I had we had the puppies. And so the puppies were born. I couldn't fall asleep. Mom, it was a C-section, so mom wasn't really that warm to them yet. So I literally slept in the whelping mm-hmm. box with the dogs. And I was up, and I couldn't really fall asleep because I wanted to make sure everything was right. So I literally stayed up all night on Friday night and Saturday night. And I was like, man, I had 20... I had 27 DMs on Instagram that I hadn't opened up, and then I had like 50 that I had opened and read but wasn't able to get message back, and I got all caught up on my Instagram messages. So I, 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 tr- I do my best. It takes me a little while sometimes, but I do my best to get back to people with questions. I do my best to ch- we share a lot of those questions on our podcast. Um, you know, this is going to be a great little nugget for people. Like we, you know, I really appreciate you having me on to do this. Different. Look, we had some oh, different absolutely. different conversations than what normally come up, which I think are really valuable and um, hopefully are helpful for folks. But yeah, that's the easiest way to get a hold of us, Dogbone Hunter. Awesome. Well, we really appreciate you coming on the show, and uh, if you're tuning in, it's worth it to pursue these things with your with your dog. Jeremy made a good point of that. What do you got to lose? And I think shed shed hunting with our with our favorite, or I should say, with our best friends, sure. is uh, certainly an avenue worth going down. And uh, we thank you all for tuning in. Don't forget to check out the Hunt Fish Life. That's Brandon, who uh, normally is on the the show as a co-host couldn't be here tonight check them out they're in delaware their deer season has finally ended the deer season that never ends there in delaware uh, has officially come to an end no professor x on the ground so there'd be more details there you can actually see some of the trail camera pictures of him if you go over to their their social media pages and uh make sure you head over to firstgenhunter.com and be sure to check that out. Well, thanks again, Jeremy, for for joining, and uh, we'll have to have you back on sometime. This was a lot of fun, learned a ton from it, and uh, to everyone listening in, get out there, get looking for some sheds, and take care of yourself, and take someone hunting. Thanks, buddy. 